Try your best today not to get bored with me at the first part of this. I know it's easy to do when we start talking about doctrine. I don't want you to feel like you're in some kind of a Bible college class. Um, I, I don't want you to feel that way. I want you to understand that, or I want you to trust me when I tell you this. By the time we get to the end of this, there's going to be something in this that you're going to understand why it is important that you know this. All right? We're going to get to the end and answer the question, why is this doctrine important? I want you to understand something. I don't just stand up here on Sunday mornings and try to teach you something that I think you will enjoy. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to teach you something that is going to grow your faith in Christ, grow your faith in God, grow your love for God. And so I'm praying that by the end of this thing you understand that doctrine and understanding the combined truths of this word on any given subject, this morning in particular, the subject of human nature. I hope that you'll see that when you have a good understanding of these combined truths on these subjects, it changes the way that you're able to walk in faith in this world and the way you're able to love God. Don't get bored with me. Let's go. There's a group called the Barna Group. It's an evangelical Christian polling group in Ventura, California. If you've done any kind of statistics in, um, in Christian studies, you'll know that this is the group that does them all. They've done over one million polls or surveys over 30 years for insights about faith and culture. The founder, his name is George Barna, he wrote a book called What Americans Believe. And in this book, here's what he said. He found that 87% of non-Christians agreed with this statement. People are basically good. Now think about that statement. People are basically good. 87% of non-Christians agree with that statement. In the same study, 77% of self-described born-again Christians agreed with the statement. People are basically good. Now this is important about how you view this. Alright? And of the 77% of self-described born-again Christians, 90% identified as mainline Protestant or people like uh, us in Baptist faith, uh, Presbyterian faith, Methodist faith, any of these denominations, and even further than that, are Protestant faiths. And out of 90% of them that identified as mainline Protestant, 90% of those agreed with the statement that said, people are basically good. Here's the problem with that. The Bible actually teaches that human beings... All of us, from the littlest to the oldest, are completely depraved. That word depraved means this. Corrupt, wicked, perverted, a total lack of ability to do good. Now, I know that throws you off for a minute because you think to yourself, now wait a minute, I know people do good things. Stay with me. We're going to get to the reason why we are totally depraved, all right? Remember, corrupt, wicked, perverted, Total lack of ability. Some people, because uh, if you're familiar with the doctrine uh, of Calvinism, you're some people are going to start to think that I'm fixing to get on this um, 
um, the five points of Calvinism. That's not where I'm going. Uh, this just happens to be one of the first points of Calvinism. I'm not going to teach it the way that the extremist Calvinists believe it, but I'm going to teach it according to what the Scripture teaches. We're going to look at what the Scripture has to say, and then we're going to decide as a group, what does the Scripture have to say about the human nature of all mankind? And I believe that what it says is that we are totally depraved. So where does this happen in the Bible? Well, you just read Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. Let's scan through that real quickly, beginning in verse 18. We're not going to read the whole thing again. But basically, the sum up of verse 18 is that he tells us that the wrath of God can already be seen. It's revealed. You can see it in death. You can see it in the suffering of the world. You can see it in the labor and the toll of work. There are so many different ways that you can see the wrath of God being revealed on this earth. But he says it's revealed because of the ungodliness, because of the unrighteousness. And the problem is that we suppress the truth. At the end of verse 18, it says we suppress the truth. What truth? Well, let's move on to verse 19. The truth that we suppress is that what can be known about God is plain. In other words, anybody can open their eyes and see what can be known about God because God has shown it to him. Then he moves on to verse 20 and he tells you why and how God has shown it to him. His invisible attributes, in other words, God is invisible. We cannot necessarily see God in the physical. God is a spirit. But God created all of these physical things so that we would be able to see, namely, as it says in verse 20, His eternal power and His divine nature. So you can look at all of creation and all of the universe and you can see His eternal power and everything that is. And you can see His divine nature when you look at all of this creation. And then He says... They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Excuse for what? Verse 21. For although they, what? They knew Him. They knew God. They may not have known the gospel and everything that there is to know about God, but they knew about this great supreme being. If there is a building, there must be a... Therefore, if there is creation, there must be a creator. And so he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So they refused honor to God or give thanks to him. So they refused to give thanks to him. <coughs> but instead, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We're going through this on Wednesday night, so I'm not going to break all this down. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights, all right? But just keep going with me. In verse 23, let's skip down to verse 23. He says that what happened was we exchanged the glory of the immortal God. So in other words, we saw God, we knew God, but instead of honoring Him as God and giving thanks to Him, we made a trade. We saw the eternal power and the divine nature and we said we're going to trade this thing up. We're going to trade eternal power and divine nature and we exchanged the glory of the immortal God 
for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. We made a dark trade. We traded the original for the image. We traded the immortal for the mortal. Do y'all see that? Now think about this. Imagine for those of you that have children, you remember when they're little bitty and you take them somewhere and you get their pictures made and they have all these little poses and things that they do and you get those pictures back and those pictures are just, you love them. And you give those pictures out to everybody because you want them to see the images of your child because they represent who your child is. Well, all that was created was images of the immortal God. You were created in the image of everything that was created was created to be an image and a display of God. And here's what we did. We took that image and we said we loved this image so much that we would rather have it than the original. We took this sweet little child right here and we said, you know what? We like the image better than the child. So here, we're going to keep the picture. You take the child. Think about that. Now, I know that don't make a whole lot of sense, but that's what we did with God. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animal things and creeping things. And then we go on to verse 24. Here's the result of it. Therefore, God did what? Gave them up. In other words, God said, okay, if you would rather have this than me, okay, here you go. I'm going to show you what that looks like, but here you go. You can have it. Therefore, God gave them up. So he gave them up to the things that they wanted. Remember, notice what it says next. He gave them up to the lust of their hearts. In other words, this is what they wanted. We said, I would rather have these things. I would rather have the created things than you. Even though you're the one that creates it all and gives it to us, I would rather have this stuff than you. And God said, but it's just images. It don't last. There's no, no substance to it. It, it, it. It's nothing. I am the original. I am everything. And you would rather have that. And we said, yes, we would. We would rather have our own way, our own thoughts, our own heart, our own authority. So then, moving on to verse 26, it says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In other words, not only was it the lust of our hearts, but it was the passion of our heart. This is what we were, these are the things we're passionate about. And then he goes on in verse 28. Skip down to verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. What does it mean to acknowledge something? In other words, we put our hand up and said, it's not even there. We don't want you, some versions say, since we did not want to retain God in our knowledge. What does it mean to retain something? It means to keep something, right? We decided we don't want to keep God. We don't want God. So we pushed God completely out. And it says because we didn't see fit 
to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do the things which ought not be done. See, I want you to think about something for just a minute. All these other things we read about, we focus so much on the particular sins. And for Christians, yes, it's important that we view the particular sins because we're supposed to be conquering those particular sins that are in our life. But for non-Christians, for mankind, we focus so much on homosexuality. We focus so much on, on, on sex outside of marriage. We focus so much on, on the, just the particular sins, gambling, alcoholism, just all these different things that affect mankind that we forget that those are not the root of the issue. The root of the issue is we don't want God. I don't want you, God. I don't want your ways. I don't want your heart. I don't want you telling me what to do. I don't want you leading me. I don't want you guiding me. My heart has its own lust and its own passions, and they have nothing to do with you. And therefore, the result of that, God said, Okay. How many of you are parents in here this morning? You ever had that time in your life where the child wanted their own way? They didn't want your way? No, no, none of y'all. None of y'all. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. I'm going to have to find another example because that ain't going to work. <clears throat> sometimes you as parents realize that sometimes there comes a point to where you only have one choice. No matter what discipline you do, no matter what you do, don't matter. You, you just have to do what? Let them learn the God gave them over. He said, okay, let me show you what a world looks like whenever you follow your own path. Let me show you what a world looks like whenever you don't want me and you don't want my knowledge. That's important for you to understand. And we're going to get to it. Why? Here in just a minute. In Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. God says that the depravity of man is so bad that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil what? <laughs> Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 actually goes on to tell us the heart is deceitful above what? All things and it is desperately sick. Who can understand it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, he tells us the natural person does not accept the spiritual things. They're foolish to him. You got, uh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong one. It's supposed to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, but that's okay. Here's what it says. The natural person does not accept the spiritual things because they are foolish to him. He is not able to understand them. He can't understand it. You know why? Because his heart is sick. It has impure passions and impure desires. He can't understand it. He's depraved. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. What does that last part say? Indeed, it can't. I'm going to go ahead and give you a, a, spoiler, a, a, a spoiler alert 
for those of you that were getting toward the main part of this, I, I want you to leave here today understanding at least one thing. In and of yourself, you are hopeless. He is my one defense. He is my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. My desire is that by the time we get to the end of this thing that you understand that to a degree that makes you sing that song in a way that you have never sung it before. God, you're my only hope because I can't commit to you. I can't follow you. Uh, my heart is against you. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 through 23. Let's read that and see what it has to say about it because here's the thing about it. I want you to understand something. I'm even talking about Sean, if you would, hold that baby up in the air right now. Y'all see this child? I'm including her in this. That brings up a whole lot of questions that I'm going to answer today. But I'm including this child right there who is not even at the point in her life yet to have the knowledge of being able to determine between right and wrong. But her heart is already there. What happens to that baby if you don't give her what she wants? It's already there. We come out of the womb with a heart that says, I don't want authority. And I especially don't want God's authority. And the older we get, the more that thing manifests itself. We are totally depraved. Romans chapter, 10, Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Listen to what it says. <clears throat> it says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. Listen to how many times he says none, not one, no one. Just so that you understand that we're talking about from the womb. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In, the path, in their paths are ruin and misery. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. In other words, the law was given so that no one could say, I am good. The law was given. You know why you have the Ten Commandments? It was never given because you could follow them and, 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 be, and be right with God. It was given so that you could look at yourself and, it, and hear the words, Thou shalt not lie, and then look at yourself and go, Uh-oh, it's too late. I'm already there. 
God wanted you to see that we are liars and we are thieves and we are adulterers at heart and there are so many other things that, that fall along with that. But again in verse 19, we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped. No one can claim righteousness apart from the righteousness of God and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And then verse 20, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Praise God, we don't have to worry about that. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to the righteousness of God. You remember what the law and the prophets bear witness to? What is the whole Bible about? Jesus Christ. Let's keep on going. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, and here we go in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Listen, I have to get across to you this morning that from the womb to death we are totally depraved in our hearts. Let's keep going. Now, when we're talking about total depravity, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that man is as wicked or as sinful as he could be. Every one of us could be more wicked. Every one of us could be more sinful. Every one of us could reach a point of Hitler and Hitler could have been worse. That's exactly right. It doesn't mean when I talk about total depravity and an inability to do good, I'm not saying that man is without a conscience or any moral direction. It's not that we are incapable of doing any good according to our standard of goodness. Remember, we're looking at two different standards of goodness here. God's standard of goodness and our standard of goodness. All right? It does not even mean that man cannot do the things that seem to conform to God's law. But here's what total depravity is. Total depravity is that our nature, our heart, from birth is corrupt, wicked, and sinful because our nature is in rebellion to God's authority. As I told you before, you take that little baby right there and you don't give it what it wants. And you're going to see the heart at the very beginning of things. And it only grows in its rebellion. We keep on going. The reason it's in rebellion to God's authority is because we have been handed down a sinful nature from Adam. We're going to call, talk, talk about that doctrine here in just a minute. But even our good things that we think are good that are done are sinful because they're not done for God's glory, for His honor, and for His praise. Remember, we don't honor God. We don't want to give thanks to God. We want us. We want what we want. And so because of that, even the good things that you do, what does Isaiah 64 say about the good things that you do in the sight of God? They're like what? Filthy rags in the sight of God. Even the good things that you do. So total depravity is not saying that you can't do good according to our standard. Again, this is important to understand because I want you to understand that you can't do enough good 
to work your way into heaven. You have one defense. You have one righteousness. Oh God, how I need you because I have total inability to be able to do any of this on my own because of my nature. Let's keep on. The Bible teaches us that we inherited this from Adam. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. Go to that with me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Along whom, I'm sorry, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by what? And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So I want you to understand that by nature all of mankind are children of wrath. Ravi Zacharias, uh, he's a very well-known Christian apologist. I, I, I encourage you, if you do, you too, listen to any of his stuff. He, he's, he's a wonderful, wonderful man of God to listen to. But here's a quote from him. He said, sin is a condition before it is an action. Think about that statement for just a minute. Again, we look at all the actions. We look at all this, how it manifests itself. We were sinners before the action. It's a condition of the heart. Here's what I wrote down. We aren't waiting on anyone to commit a transgression to become a sinner. We transgress because we are of a sinful nature. We aren't waiting on that child to do something wrong to become a sinner. She will sin because she has a sinful nature. And any one of you that have grown up understand that to be true. You sin because you have a sinful nature. So sin is a condition before it's an action. I'll prove it to you again. All the combined truths. So make sure you see that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this from the Word. Proverbs 22 verse 15. Look at what it says. It says folly or foolishness is bound up in the heart of who? A child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But why do we discipline them? Because it drives it away from them. Go with me to Genesis chapter 8 verse 21. He says that the intentions of the man's heart, or let's start this. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. So there again. God from his word says from our youth the heart is sick. The heart is desperate, desperately sick. It's a condition before it comes in action. This is also known as original sin. If you ever hear of anybody talk about original sin, it means that when Adam fell in the garden, we inherited some things from him because we all come from Adam whether we like it or not. I was working yesterday... Um, um, we were doing some fencing down on my mom's place. And 
my mother's a, she was a farmer with my dad the, uh, as long as they were alive so she was right out there in the middle of it helping us and and she was she was doing as much of it as I was and and Chastity was and so we were out there and we were doing this and then all of a sudden whenever we went into the house she wanted to fix us uh, some dinner something to eat so we were sitting there just trying to catch our breath and and I saw her just walking and the way she was running and the way she was acting and the way she was moving. I just saw my sister as she done that. I thought it's just amazing to me how much my sister is so much like my mom. And then I began to look at myself and I began to think about some of the things that I do, both good and bad. And I thought to myself, um, man, there is so much like my dad that I am. Some of the things I don't like, and I'm sure there were some of the things that he was that was just like his dad, that no matter how hard he tried or no matter what he didn't like about it, the problem is there were some things that were inherited that passed down to us that we can't do anything about. There are just some things that we are. Well, here's what I want you to understand that comes from Adam. When you come from Adam, there's something that was handed down to you that you can't do anything about. And that's a heart that says, God, I don't want you. God, I want me. And so no matter how bad you hate it, the fact of the matter is, that's what you got. My dad had some, had some issues that he dealt with, some, some things so just like y'all have issues and particular sins that you deal with. And I find myself today, a pastor, 20 years later, and, and I don't mind telling you, my dad, my dad loved to play the lottery. He did. He loved it. And, and he was able to. I mean, he had a budget to where he knew what he could spend on it. And, and so it's just something that he loved to do. I myself believe that it is a slippery slope and it leads to some very bad things. I stay away from it. But do you know that one of my weaknesses when I was younger was gambling? Man, I love to gamble. I ain't dealt with this in years. And for some reason, I can remember I would drive by these stores and my dad had these stores he stopped at to buy his lottery tickets and I'd see his truck there and I know, I know that dad's in there get him a lottery ticket and I'd just drive on by. Well, now y'all know that dad is gone. He died a few months ago and, and now I drive by that store and do you know that for some reason there's something in me that says, why don't you stop and buy your lottery ticket? I'm a pastor of a Baptist church. I, I can't explain it. It don't make no sense to me. But for some reason, there is just this desire in me to gamble. My wife's up here telling me I'm not going to get that budget my dad got. So... I don't, I really don't, I don't understand it. The only thing I can tell you is that it's a problem for me. My older sister will tell you the same thing. It's a problem for her. Gambling is an issue in our family. I don't know why. I can't explain it. But for some reason, it's just in my blood. And it's something that, that I, I, I have no way to explain to you why this is something that I deal with. The devil plays on your weaknesses. But it's something that I know that my dad had an issue with. 
and now all of a sudden I have a wish with. I'm not saying that I can't conquer it with Christ. I'm not saying that there ain't things that I can't do. I'm just telling you that the evidence is there that we are handed down things, both good and bad, that whether we like it or not. So the concept of original sin and the fact that you were handed down on a, a sinful nature shouldn't be something you look at and go, ah, that sounds like stupidness. You ought to be able to look at your life if you know anything about where you come from. Some don't have that privilege. But if you do, then you should be able to look at your life and see there are some things in my life that are just like my dad. There are some things in my life that are just like my mom. Or, or whatever the case may be. No matter how much you hate it or no matter how much you like it. So, But again, this concept of original sin is one that is debated all over the place. People just reject it over and over again. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 and 22, it says, For as by a man, talking about Adam, came what? Death. That ought to be evidence to know that we inherited something from Adam. For as by a man came death, by a man, Jesus Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam... All die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Listen, the only thing you have to do to be in Adam is be born. And as a result of that, you inherit death. You know what you have to do to be in Christ? Be born again. And as a result of that, you are what? But in and of ourselves, we are totally and completely depraved. We see the same thing in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Actually, from 12 all the way to the end, but we'll only do Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. This doctrine is the reason many denominations practice child baptism. There's a reason why we don't baptize children. Even though those children right there have sinful hearts, even though they are born of a sinful nature, there are some people who believe that if those children are not baptized, then you know what they inherit? Adam's death, and they inherit an eternity away from God. Again, we're getting into the reason why this doctrine is so important for you to understand because if all of this is true, then what happens when we die? Well, if you're in Adam, if you're in Christ, what about that child right there? What happens to that child? We have to answer that question, right? So let's answer it. Let's see what the Bible teaches. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. He says... But as for your little ones who you said would become a prey and for your children who today, today have no knowledge between right and wrong or good and evil, they shall go in there, talking about the promised land, and to them I will give it and they shall possess it. Here's what you need to understand. Even though these children were of the same sinful nature as their parents, and even though they were by nature children of wrath, they're covered by God's grace because of their lack of knowledge of their offense. We see that from the Bible. That's not my opinion. All right? 
So they don't have to have water poured over them to make it better. It ain't going to wash the sinful nature off of them. But there are some who because of the doctrine of original sin believe if that child is not baptized, that child is in trouble if something happens to it before it is in Christ. That's not what the Bible teaches. John chapter 9 verse 41 You'd also find the same thing, we'll go to John chapter 9, but you'd also find the same thing in Numbers chapter 14, verse 30 and 31. If you're taking notes, you'd find the same situation in there. In the Gospel of John chapter 9, verse 41, you know the blind man that Jesus healed? All of a sudden, he started talking about spiritual blindness. And when he was talking about spiritual blindness, the Pharisees came up to him and they said, Well, are you saying that we're blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So there again, we see that when we're addressing the issue of spiritual blindness, Jesus tells the Pharisees that if you actually lack the natural capacity to be able to see your sin against God, then God would not hold you accountable for that sinfulness. Notice again, if you were blind, you would have what? No guilt. But because you see, guess what? Your guilt remains. Your guilt is there. Romans chapter 1 verse 20. We've already been there, but let's look at it again. Paul is talking about people who do not have access to the gospel. Notice what he says in verse 20. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So they're without excuse for their rebellion against God because they're old enough to be able to see and understand the Bible said it's clearly perceived and they understand it. So they have no excuse. So that would mean that the opposite is also true. If they were unable to see and unable to understand and unable to clearly perceive their rebellion against God, then they would have what? An excuse. So all of the teaching of the Bible goes around to say, this is important. What happens to people with mental inabilities? What about people that don't have the capacity? I'm not talking about children anymore. Let's talk about adults that don't have the capacity to be able to, to recognize their offense against the Creator. They still have the same sinful heart. I went to school with several children that had mental um, disabilities of some kind. And I want to tell you something. They were sinners. They were sinners just like me. They were sinners just like you. I heard things come from them and saw them do things that there's no question that comes from a sinful heart. But we have to ask the question, if original sin exists and if we are inherited this from Adam, what happens? Well, I believe the Bible teaches that the grace of God covers those people. Now, here's what's important for you not to do. I'm not telling you, well, here's what I believe because God is compassionate and because I believe that God is this and I believe that God is that. How many people do you know that base their beliefs on what they believe God is? 
I'm not telling you what I believe God is. I'm telling you what God says He is. Here's another thing that you need to realize. If God were to say different and you didn't agree with it, all of us can agree with that and all of us love that, right? If something happened to these children or something happened to somebody like that, we know we know where they would be, and we can, we can agree with that. But what if it said something that your heart said, I don't like that about God. Guess what? It's still the truth. God is who He says He is, not who you want Him to be. So we're going to let God be God, and we're going to let Him be who He says He is. And He is a God that has given us over to our depraved hearts, but at the same time retains compassion for those who are not able to see that in the way that they should be able to. That's what the Bible teaches on that matter. We're all guilty of a sinful nature and all under the wrath of God, but these teachings seem to me to point toward God's grace for eternal judgment on little ones and those that lack the capacity to understand that sinful nature. So that's the way that I interpret the scripture and that's the reason why I believe in the doctrine of total depravity and it still be, it still cover all of those, even the little babies who we say, but they don't know right and wrong. You're right. They're still of sinful nature. And one day they will still give an account according to the knowledge that they had, whether it was only knowledge of the created things or whether it was knowledge of the gospel. They will give account of some kind and they'll be covered by the grace of God according to the knowledge that they had. Finally, why do you need to know this doctrine? I feel like we've covered most of it this morning. Why do you need to know this doctrine? Why am I doing this? Why does this matter? Well, first off, you need to know who you are. See, here's the thing about it. If I were to ask you this morning, and those of you that are taking the way of the master, of course, will know this very well, but you ask anybody in the world for the most part this question. Would you consider yourself to be a good person? Ask anybody in the world that question, and you will know what 99% of the people are going to tell you. Well, yeah. Consider myself to be a good person. And maybe according to your standard of goodness, maybe you are. But here's the thing you need to understand. The truth of the matter is you are just like the rest of the world and you are totally depraved in your heart. You have no ability to please God. You have no desire in and of yourself to, to come to God. It is only That's the reason why the Bible says unless the Spirit of God draws you, Guess what? You can't come. You don't have the ability because your heart is in rebellion to Him. Your heart says, I don't want Him. And so it's important for you to understand who you are. Because until your eyes are open to that, you will stay in that rebellion you will not hear the gospel, which is your only defense, your only righteousness, your only hope. But when you see who you are, and listen, who in here cannot open their eyes and see that what I'm saying, look around the world. Who could honestly deny that this is, is not the truth? 
got to know who you are. That even though some of us are capable of some good according to our standard, all of us are still sinful to the core and capable of terrible things. You need to be able to see this to know who mankind is so that you can stop blaming God for all the things that your hearts want. How many times did something ever happen because of something someone else did? And you go, or, or maybe, let's just take it to the wildest degree. Let's take it to the, not the wildest, but one of the hardest. Why did God allow that man to molest that child? Why did God do that? Why, why, didn't, God, why didn't God stop this? That's a good question, right? That's a very good question, but here's one thing that you need to remember. Go back to Romans chapter 1 verse 28 again. Romans chapter 1 verse 28. <clears throat> it says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. God said, listen, this is the lust of your hearts, mankind, Yours may not have been that particular thing, but you still did not want God. All these other things are just symptoms of that heart. Sin is a condition before it's an action. All right? And since you did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Let's go on to verse 29. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, God said, here's what a world looks like whenever you want your way instead of mine. And then we look at this world and go, God, how can you do that? How can you just sit there and do nothing? And God said, I'm not doing nothing. I'm not doing nothing. I'm doing exactly what you wanted. This is what you want. I know that sounds crazy. You say, I don't want that. That's not what I want yet yeah, is. Yeah, it is. Because you don't want God. And because you don't want God, that's what this is. Yours just looks different. Let me say that one more time. Yours just looks different. You need to know who you are. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. You can go on and on and on. Even to the point where I told you to remember, disobedient to parents. You know why your children are disobedient to you? <laughs> because they don't want God. And because you don't want God. Your only hope, your only defense, you've only got one. You've only got one. You need to know who you are so you can stop blaming God <clears throat> for what your heart wants. Another reason why you need to know this doctrine. The more you understand this doctrine the more you love the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more you understand this doctrine, the more you love the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. You take a bologna sandwich. So why y'all laughing? It's a bologna sandwich. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we got some hungry people in here. You take a bologna sandwich. Take it to Donald Trump. I ain't even told a joke yet. <laughs> take it to Donald Trump and hand it to him. Or take Donald Trump out of this thing. Take it to a rich person. Or somebody that ain't hurting. Somebody that's used to steak. You give them that bologna sandwich. 
They may throw it at you. Or they may look at it and go, thanks for the thought. But you take that same bologna sandwich to a homeless person or to this village in Guatemala or to Ethiopia. Take that same bologna sandwich and give it to them. What's the difference? They knew how much that bologna sandwich. To the rich man or to the man who has what he needs, that's just a bologna sandwich. That's all that is. But to the man who knows that he don't have anything, that bologna sandwich is his only hope. That's life. That bologna sandwich is life to him. <laughs> you want to know why this doctrine is important that you understand how totally depraved you and all of mankind is? It's because when you see yourself as hopeless, against God, rebellion against Him, no hope, no ability to come to Him on my own, no ability to please Him, no ability to do good. When you see yourself that way, all of a sudden the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes the sweetest thing you've ever heard and seen in your life. And the more you understand this doctrine, the more you love the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to understand why some people are able to worship with all of their heart? You know, I am not even to the point of worship that I want to be where some people are. You want to know why some people worship with all of their heart? It's not necessarily that they're crazy. Some of them are, but not all of them. You want to know why they worship with all of their heart? Because they've learned more and more who they are. Because they know who they are and they know who God is, they love the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Man, I got so much. The story um, in Luke chapter 7, I'm not going to try to read it. There's a story of Jesus. He's sitting in uh, a Pharisee's house <clears throat> and um, this woman comes in who is a sinner. She's actually a prostitute, I believe. She comes in and... Um, she kneels at his feet and she weeps over his feet and she sheds tears on his feet and she takes her hair and she wipes his feet and she takes perfume and she anoints his feet and, and all of a sudden the people sitting around this table looked and they said, if he knew who this woman was and what manner of sinner she was, he wouldn't be letting this happen. And Jesus turns and he tells them a story. He tells them a story about a man who was forgiven of a great debt and a man who was forgiven of a little debt. And he asked a question. He said, who do you think would love the man who forgave the debt more? The man with the great debt or the man with the little debt? They look at him and they say, well, of course, the man with the great big debt is going to love him more. And Jesus looked at him and said, he who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. Now let me ask you a question. Was Jesus saying that there are worse sinners and then there are not so much worse sinners? Jesus was saying we need to understand the same thing that woman understands. You didn't have to live some terrible, horrible life to be able to stand and give a testimony to the glorious grace of God in your life. You were totally depraved whether you were ever a rapist or a murderer or no matter what it was, you got the same heart. You realize that. You're able to look at God and understand of how much I am forgiven. 
And the more you recognize how much you have been forgiven, the more you love. Another reason why you need to know this gospel, I'll go through these last two very quickly. For people who suffer loss of infants and those lacking mental capacity have already been through that. The, uh, that's, that's another reason you need to know this God. You need to know this doctrine. One of these days, listen, me and my wife have lost three children and if life begins in the womb, which according to the Bible it does, before I formed you in the womb is what God told Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. If life begins in the womb, we got three children that need to be answered to this question. If original sin is correct and they were coming out with a sinful heart, where are they? What happened? Well, the nice, nice cushy thing to say is, well, they just go to heaven. Yeah, that's nice. Where do you get that from? How do you know that? If you don't know this doctrine, if you don't know these truths, the truth of the matter is you don't know nothing. I don't need to know what you think you know to make me feel better. I need to know the truth of what God's Word says. If you don't know this doctrine, you can't answer that question. And one day, I promise you, either you or one of your family members is going to be faced with that same question. What happened to my child? What happened to my child? Last one. The reason you need to know your, uh, this doctrine to change the way you pray for your lost loved ones. Let me explain something to you. If all mankind is totally depraved in nature, if all mankind is under the wrath of God, if their only hope is that God opens their eyes, because remember, another way to describe this doctrine is total inability. My heart does not want God. So are you going to come to God on your own? Your only hope is that God opens your eyes. I want you to think about it like this. How much did you have to do with your birth? Your birth into this world. How much of it did you play a part in it? Then, <laughs> got a smart aleck in every bunch. Savannah said, well, I showed up, didn't I? <clears throat> That's all you did was showed up. How much do you think you have to do with your new birth? unless the Spirit draws you, unless the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to your ears, unless God opens your eyes, which I believe He has done this very morning in this place, unless the only thing you have to do now is like Savannah said, show up. I hear it. I believe it. I know it's true. And the only thing I can do is throw up my hands of surrender and say, I no longer want to be in rebellion. I see the truth. I see the result of it. I see what being handed over to my way looks like. I know what this come. I know how this ends. I don't want this. So to change the way you pray for your lost loved ones. Remember, if they have nothing to do with it. You ever preached and preached and preached and preached and preached to somebody? Your children, you preach and you preach and you preach and you preach. Don't get me wrong, 
Keep preaching. But you know what's more important than preaching? Praying. You know why? Because you can't do it and they can't do it. They have nothing to do with it. The only one that has anything to do with it is God Almighty. And His Spirit either comes and opens their eyes to it and then they have the choice at that moment to receive or reject. So it changes the way that you pray for your lost loved ones when you understand this doctrine. I pray y'all don't get bored with me through this series. We're going to cover some stuff that can be a little bit boring. But I promise you, if you'll take some good notes... Maybe if we're able to record, I don't know if we're recording now or not, but maybe if we're able to record it and you're able to go back to it, if not, I'll get you my notes. If not, I'll sit you down one-on-one and preach this to you, just me and you, whatever it takes. But I pray that you understand that you are depraved from your birth in your heart, that you do not want God, and that's the reason why the world is the way that it is. And remember, you have one hope. You have one defense. You have one righteousness. And it does not come from you at all. Oh God, how I need you. We're going to have a time of invitation. Somebody this morning heard the gospel message. Somebody this morning knows that I described you to a T. And the only thing God is asking you to do is what Savannah said. Show up. If you will confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be in Christ and you will inherit life and you shall be saved. That's the promise of God. I pray this morning that you're able to see that. Whatever you need this morning, this is the time to come. Y'all stand.